Good morning, everybody. One of the, the benefits of when we didn't have a pastor is that a senior pastor is I get to preach a lot. And one of the benefits of having a senior pastor is that I don't preach as much. Um, and uh, give me more time to focus on Trinity Grace. But I'm, I'm glad to be here uh, to be part of this congregation and to uh, be preaching uh, to you this morning from Galatians 3. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Galatians 3.25. Uh, if not, it's, uh, it's in your bulletin. You can follow along. But first, let's go to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that your word is active and living, that it um, cuts us uh, only to heal us, to grow us, it prunes us, it helps us be healthy, um, it gives us new life, it gives us a glimpse of who you are, your attributes, your character, uh, your plan uh, to rescue us to give us grace, uh, to give us hope for the future, um, hope for the present, uh, because of what Christ has done in the past for us. Um, Help us hear what you have for us this morning. Um, Our hearts may be changed, our mind may be conformed, so that we might live in newness of life, we pray. In your name, amen. Here from Galatians 3, 25 through chapter 4, verse 7. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For it is Christ Jesus, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. For if you are of Christ, then you are in Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved by the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father! So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then heir through God. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Now, if you asked 100 people, what, what makes Christianity, what's the difference between Christianity and other religions? Think of some answers that you might get. Some people might say there's nothing. They're all the same. You know, it's uh, kind of religions are like a stained glass window, and God is the sun, and so His truth comes out different colors and aspects through the stained glass window. You might ask someone on the street, and they might be a Christian, and they might say, "Grace, grace is what makes Christianity different than other religions." What about you? If you thought about that question, what might you say? I think there are some good, real, true answers that are different than just one answer. 
one this morning is adoption. What makes Christianity different than other religions is our belief that we are adopted sons and daughters of a Heavenly Father. Our big idea this morning is that we are the adopted people of God. We are a gospel people formed by the good news of Jesus Christ into a new family, who live as family, who care for one another as family. So in the, in the Presbyterian world, it should be good news to you that uh, the pastors, the teaching elders, and ruling elders are held to a standard of belief. The Westminster Standards, the Confession of Faith, the larger and shorter catechisms. And they're not just a standard, this kind of academic, theological system, but they are truly beautiful. And here we get a glimpse of that. I'm not going to read through the whole shorter catechism, but it works through the order of salvation in a sense. And what is effectual calling? Effectual calling is the work of God's Spirit. We see that in this text. Whereby convincing us of our sin and misery, and enlightening our minds to the knowledge of Christ, and renewing our wills, He doth persuade and enable us to embrace Jesus Christ, freely offered in the Gospel. The next question is, what benefits do we get from this effectual call? We get justification, the act of God's free grace. God's act upon us, where He pardons all of our sins and accepts us righteous in His sight, only for the righteousness of Christ imputed, put on us. Like putting on Christ, as we read in our text, and received by faith alone. And the next one is where we are today. What is adoption? Again, it's an act. Of God. It's an act of God's free grace, whereby we are received into the number, received into the covenant community, received into the family of God, and have all the rights, have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. What does it mean for the church to be the family of God? Where do we see this in the scriptures? Well, a number of them were read this morning to us in a scripture reading. In Genesis 1-3, through 3, we see that God created the first family that was without sin. They loved each other. They loved God perfectly without sin coming between them and God. But sin ruined that. My former pastor said the two most beautiful words in the Bible, if he had to pick two, were, but God. Because although sin has ruined our relationship with God, has separated us from God and being in relationship and being in His family, but God, being rich in mercy, justified us and adopted us into His family. We heard from John 1, But to all did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. First Peter 1, 3 through 3-5 is a scripture that our family had memorized a little while ago. Any you, you kids want to come up and you guys want to come and say this in front of everybody? Not getting any head shakes. Yes. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, that is kept in heaven for you, who by God's power 
are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This idea that we are family, that we live as family, that we are adopted as sons and daughters with a father who is perfect, who is good, great, glorious, and gracious to his family. It's a great hope, it's a great blessing that we get to partake in that together. Christ has set us free. He has said that we are now all sons of God. And so what does Paul mean that we are all sons? That we have put on Christ. Put on Christ like clothes. Paul uses this image elsewhere in Ephesians and in Romans. That we are now new creations. So our old clothes are removed, our new clothes are on. We are new creations. Our primary identity isn't our old way of life, our sin. It's not death. It's now life. It's life in Christ. Christ is our primary identity. When God the Father sees us, He does no longer see our sin, but He says, sees the righteousness of Christ imputed, put on us. It also means that we are close to Christ. Like clothing is close to us. In the age of, of skinny jeans, some clothing is closer to us than at other times. I remember when I was in 8th grade, I had these giant baggy pants, and that was in then. But now we can understand even better now, because our clothing kind of comes around. It's tight, it's closer to us. We put on Christ. He t- we take Him wherever we go. We take Him in every area of life. And now we are acceptable before God because of this clothing, the Christ that we have put on us. It's our adornment. It covers us. When we look at back in Genesis, after the fall, after sin entered the world, Adam and Eve sinned. They were naked and ashamed and they hid from God. And they tried to kind of manufacture their own covering, their own uh, way to cover their shame. And it was... You imagine somewhat pathetic attempt to do that as we try to do it ourselves apart from Christ. And yet God being rich in mercy actually performs the first sacrifice. Blood is shed and clothes are made to put on Adam and Eve to cover their shame. And now we as people of Christ no longer go about to the temple and sacrifice animals to cover our shame, but Christ has done that for us. And we put Him on and our shame is gone. It has been removed. And the righteousness of Christ adorns us and covers us. Christ was born under the law so that he could keep it perfectly because we cannot. So that he could redeem us. 
He could purchase us. We don't use that word redeem much in our society, our culture anymore. We use it um, because we're one of those great states where we uh, pay five cents for cans. Um, We get to go to the redemption center and get five cents for something that seemingly has no value. It's so much greater than that in Christ. The law is a slave master and Christ redeems us and we are set free from that. Think about this. In the Roman world, a wealthy, childless man could adopt one of his slaves. Could purchase them, could redeem them from a life of slavery. Bring them in as adopted sons. At the moment of of adoption, this slave ceased to be a slave. And he received all the financial and legal, legal privileges within the estate and outside in the world as a son and as an heir. It's amazing that redemption and adoption relationship, that sonship coming together in Christ Jesus. He has saved us from our sin, but not only from our sin, but actually into something greater. Into an inheritance that will never, can never, spoil, perish, or fade. And into a new family where that inheritance is a reality for us. This idea of guardian in the text is more, uh, we might think of guardian like a, a child needs a babysitter. Or, or like a nanny or au pair or something like somebody where the, the parents are, are, are not there and they have a babysitter there, a guardian. But in fact, it's, it's much greater than that. It is a guard of a prison cell that we are slaves and imprisoned and Christ has set us free and redeemed us. Not, we are just no longer. It's not just that we are removed from prison. It's like, oh, you're not a prisoner anymore. You are set free to just kind of go about your life. It says, no, you are no longer a prisoner. Now you are adopted into the family of God. You have been given an inheritance so that you may go and live in this new identity, in this new family. This is done by the Spirit so that we can cry out, Abba, Father. That we have a good Father. This is difficult to understand. I know that because um, although many of us had, had good fathers, many of us didn't have good fathers. Our society is, is, is filled with people with deep father wounds for many different reasons. And so when we hear this, we might kind of conjure images of what our earthly father was like. Right? And even those of us that had good fathers, we did not have perfect fathers. They made mistakes, they sinned. The scripture tells us these great benefits, this great father that we have, who loves us, who cares for us, who sent his only son to die so that we might be adopted sons and daughters into this family. Now why does this text say that we are sons, the inheritance of the sons? 
Because in that, in that time, the inheritance did go to the sons. So what it's saying is that we are neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, does not remove those earthly distinctions. Right? They're still male, they're still females. Some of us are Irish, some of us are Italian. We still have these earthly distinctions. But what it's saying is that all of us, no longer just the sons, but all of us get to receive the inheritance, the benefits the sons received in that world, in that culture. Right? No longer do just the boys being born get circumcised, but the whole family of God gets the benefits of baptism. So how does this identity of family work out in the life of the church? Well, baptism is one of those things. The great inheritance that we receive, we get to see the family of God come together and rejoice in baptisms. The baptism of of children being welcomed to the family of God. Baptism of those who are far from God that have professed faith get to come and be baptized and be part of the family of God. We are publicly identified with Jesus and his family through the means of baptism. It's new birth into a living hope, into a new family. And as Presbyterians, we believe that children are part of this family. They are not outsiders looking in, but they are insiders partaking in the benefits of the family of God. That children are part of this family. They are part of the covenant community. They are part of the church. We treat them as part of it and actually believe that they are. And when we teach them to pray, they're actually praying and God hears their prayers. This identity of family works itself out in the life of the church because we are a covenant community. We are related by the blood of Jesus Christ. Although we come from different tribes and nations and tongues from all over the world, we have the main thing in common. We are related by the blood of Jesus Christ. He has bought us and paid for all of our sins and made us part of His family. God has made covenants with His people throughout history. These covenants defined the relationship between God and His people and with one another. And in this covenant community, we believe that coming together in the covenant, part of that covenant is... church membership making vows that you are part of the covenant community according to the Bible church membership is a commitment every Christian should make right to attend to love to serve to humbly submit to the local body of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament God made clear distinction between his people and the world Christ says that entering the kingdom of God means being bound to the church on earth. When we receive the church on earth, we see it in the local community, the local body of Christ. The New Testament explicitly refers to some people being inside the church and some people being outside the church. Now some of this language, inside and outside, in our, in our culture, in our world, seems 
Like our, our first reaction is negative. Like insiders and outsiders. And that would be true if it was based on our own merit. Maybe our own wealth. How much money we had. Can I be an insider if I have enough money? Like, like, like a country club membership. Because we kind of, that, that idea of membership, that word, we cringe because it's been co-opted. Yeah, it means members, membership, where Scripture talks about members of the body of Christ having different gifts and abilities and capacities to serve one another. So it's not membership in the worldly sense, where do I have enough money to join this club or that club? It's membership in the sense that has Christ changed your life? So that you cry, Abba, Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. This inside and outside is much more than a casual association. And the church in Corinth consisted of a definite number of believers. Such that Paul could speak of and rebuke those that were living outside of the covenant community of Christ. So living as family actually requires us to be around one another. The dozens of one another statements in the New Testament can only make sense if we actually understand that we are living in community with one another. That we are living together, near each other, loving each other, caring for one another, loving one another, long-suffering with one another. It's not easy. It's not easy because although we're part of the family, we've been saved by God's grace, we are still sinners. We still sin. We still have problems with one another. We still lie and gossip. Until glory. And so here we are trying to live in covenant community with one another and family. And, and you know, I mean, your, your earthly family isn't perfect. You have problems with one another. There are strife and issues that need to be resolved. We, we, at Thanksgiving and Christmas, we are, in our culture, we kind of make light of the fact that, oh, here we go, we got to be with our family. How difficult is this? And as the family of God, we come together and we live in a different way. We live in a way that we are commanded to reconcile with one another when we have problems. We are commanded to not run away from our problems, from each other, but to stay and fight for the peace and purity of the church. This is important because this idea of membership, of being the family of God... The church presents God's witness to the world. It displays His glory. And the church and the church membership, right, non-Christians should see that the, in the lives of God's people a change. A change that believes that God the Father is holy and gracious, that He is good, and that His gospel is powerful for saving and transforming Sinners. One of the 
I don't say it's a problem, but one, one of the things that happens when like you, you plan a new church is that a lot of people want to come check it out. And a lot of times people are dissatisfied in some sense with their, their old church. And when we planted Redeemer Hill, I, I saw that a lot. And, um, and one time... I said, there's a beautiful representation of the gospel. This this couple um, came and you know they kind of come for a couple weeks and then you say like, well let's let's grab coffee and talk about see where you're at and, and try to understand their story and where they're coming from. And they were coming from a, a very large church um, east of the river. And so I, you know you kind of get to that. Well, what's the deal? Right? Do, why are you going from this large church with all these things to our tiny church? Um, in Hartford, and so you find out that they have a problem with someone else, and so encourage them to um, to go and restore and reconcile with um, with this other family, and uh, even have a pastor be part of that. And they did. Like, what a great example of the gospel and, and reconciling with one another. How easily our culture, when there's a problem, we want to flee and run away. And how hard is it to fight when you believe someone has sinned against you or has wronged you? And that's what the gospel calls us to. So that's why church membership is so important. Because we want to say that we are here together as sons and daughters, as heirs to the heirs to the inheritance to this promise, to live in light of the gospel, in light of the good news, that we are going to think about power and money and possessions and relationships and marriage different than the world around us. Because we are citizens of a different kingdom. We are part of a different family. We, uh, at different times, have um, had people come up, whether they're children who are going from being um, non-communing members to those that profess faith in Christ and now can come forward and take the Lord's Supper, um, to those that are part of the church that are saying, we want to commit and be part of this church and make um, vows before this body. These are the questions we ask for those that are wanting to become members, becoming part of this family of God. Do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving His displeasure and without hope except through His sovereign mercy? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners? And do you receive and trust Him alone for your salvation as He has offered in the Gospel? And do you now resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ in community, not by yourself? Are there no Lone Ranger Christians? And do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And do you submit yourself to the government and discipline of the church and promise to study its purity and peace? This is the, these are the vows that we've made together. And that those that are members to be reminded of these vows as a family of God. And those that are, um, have been here or are exploring what it means to be part of this church. 
These are the serious vows that we make to one another. Because we believe the family of God in the local body of the church is important. So we have family gatherings. We come, we're here at one right now. Where we come together and we worship. We confess together as the family of God what we believe. We confess together our sins. We hear together the assurance of pardon, the good news, and the grace of Jesus Christ to be reminded that we can rest in that and it's not of our own will and desire and striving and pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps that we are saved, but it's by the grace of God given to us. And to be reminded that we didn't do anything for God to give us His pleasure and adopt us into His family. Into that new birth, into that new family. Just like you did not have anything to do with your birth here on earth. As a newborn infant baby, more than likely you fought and struggled not to come out. And some of us even turned the wrong way. We get to come together and worship and celebrate and praise the one that made us family. We get to worship together. We get to eat together. Whether it's the potluck or weekly Lord's Supper, we come around the table as family. We hear God's word together and we pray together. We come together at Sunday school. We come together in community groups throughout the week to one another, each other. We serve together. We are in mission together to bring this good news of Jesus Christ to West Hartford and the surrounding area. We have been blessed to be a blessing. It's only because of the work that Christ has done in us and the work that the Spirit has changed us Give us a new birth into a living hope so that we might cry, Abba, Father. This good, great, glorious, and gracious Father who has changed us, who called us, who welcomes us to His table as sons and daughters. We can rest in that. We can leave this place knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. If you have repented of your sins and put your faith in Christ alone, then you are His brother, you are His sister. We are sons and daughters of the Father, and you will never be cast away. Reminder of this hymn as I close. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He should give His only Son to make a wretch a treasure. To make an orphan his son. To make an orphan his daughter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you call us sons and daughters. That you have given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. That nothing can separate us from your love. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Help us as a local body, as a local family. Love one another. Care for one another. Reconcile with one another. 
Fight for the peace and purity of the church together. Remind us that we are yours. We pray all this in your name. Amen.